you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Our scriptures start with the cultural memory of the people of Israel telling story. The story of a God who uh, is creative, who, uh, who brings life, who gives form and function, who uh, gives names and calls good. It's the story of a God who made uh, the heavens and the earth, a God who uh, created the plants and the animals, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, a God who created humanity in his image. Created humanity in his image and saw that they were very good. God and uh, the first humans dwell together in the garden there, uh, there is no separation between heaven and earth. The dwelling place of God is the dwelling place of, of humans. They work together as humanity names the animals, as they begin to, to understand what it is to be fully human. And God looks around and says, it isn't good uh, for, for one person to be alone. They need a helper. And Azer Konegdo, this... this uh, this type of helpmate that's only other description is, is when God calls himself their helper. The second person is made also in God's image. Together, they're to be fruitful and to bring forth life, to, to continue in this work of uh, creating that God has started God's self. They dwell in a, a utopic garden, free to eat from everything but one tree, and things are good. External forces come to bear and uh, things start to be not so good. The, uh, the, uh, the actors who work upon humanity uh, lead them astray. And the rest of God's story is the story of God who desperately loves these divine image bearers and him calling them back to himself to try to uh, put at bay those external forces that want to separate God and God's image bearers. God uh, is never so set in his ways that he won't go wherever humanity has gone. He won't follow them wherever they go. God loves them and will not give up. He has this pattern of making covenant promises with people uh, in order to, to bear his heart, uh, to, to show his commitment. His, his first covenant is with Noah that even though things have gotten bad, I will never destroy never destroy. He makes covenant with Abraham and this one family to say, through you, I'm going to bless the world. But, but lest you worry, I'm going to be the one who bears the weight of this covenant. Abraham, all you have to do is be the person you've already been. If, if this thing falls apart, it's on me. We go farther down the story, and this covenant-making God uh, draws Israel out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, delivers them into the wilderness, and makes covenant with them. 
This God who has made covenant with one man, with one family, now makes covenant with a nation. I'll be your God. I'll put you in a place of rest. I will make you fruitful and you'll fill uh, the land. This land will be yours. There'll be a place flowing with milk and honey and it will be great. Here's what it means to be my people. Here's what it means to remember that I'm the God who delivered you from the land of slavery, delivered you out of the hand of Pharaoh. And much of the rest of the story is the story of humanity trying, uh, trying to hold at bay those external forces that want to, to lead them away from that image-bearing responsibility, that, that role of being God's very mirror to the world. It's this uh, back and forth between the powers of sin and the light of God. They have moments of, uh, of glorious glimpses of what it could be. They, they do enter the land. They do begin to have a bit of a period of rest. They, they see a king who might look like a good king. They uh, begin to, to think, okay, I can breathe easy. But these uh, external forces of sin keep pressing in and drawing them away from that image-bearing, that co-creating, that, that role of being the very witness to God that they are. And the kingdom begins to fall apart. And eventually, uh, foreign forces come in and take them into exile. Uh, first, in the north, they go into exile into Assyria, and they are, they are decimated. Hundreds of years later, the south uh, falls to Babylon and they're taken out. The, the presence of God leaves the temple and actually follows them to where they're going. This weight of uh, sin and evil just permeates page after page and God's heart is, please, just look to me. Just look. Look this way. And even if you won't, I'll follow you. We... I'll follow you and I promise I won't give up on you. And so after a generation is in exile in Babylon, God, through uh, the, the empire of Persia, uh, begins this returning work. Let's come back to the land. Let's, let's begin to, to come back to these promises. What does it mean to be my people, uh, to be a very a blessing to the world? Come back. And so they start to. And our later prophets uh, tell us the story of what it means to be the post-exilic Israel. The people who have, have tasted the pain of searing loss. Who have sat outside of what was promised to them. Who have seen that their God feels distance. Who have uh, begun to have no hope. And they come back in full of hope, full of the words of promise from the prophets that, that God will rebuild the temple and things will be good and yet they're not good. They come to the temple but it's uh, not as grand as they had imagined and remembered. They uh, come back and try to form a, a cohesive community and yet oppression reigns. These, these forces of sin cause them to trample upon each other even as they come back in under God's promises. They uh, make lots of mistakes and their solution is to cause women suffering by forcing them all into this, this grand massive divorce scheme. They trample upon the poor and the priests are still all about themselves. These forces that are, that are outside of us are operating even in this very moment where they should look and see the goodness of God. 
This is the reality of Malachi. They're back in the land, and things are not good. And God continues to pursue them even in the midst of not good. I love you enough that we're going to continue to battle against these powers of sin and death, and, and we're going to, we are not going to let you go. You humans are worth it. You, you can read these prophets in, I think, one of two ways. In most of my life, I've read these post-exilic prophets as uh, angry and ready to burn it all down. We're back and you're going to do this. Let's, let's burn it all down. This year, I'm reading the prophets in a whole new way. A story of a God who refuses to give up and says, I will do what it takes to make my name great and to make you a holy people. This story that Darren read us us today from Malachi, this picture of God sending a messenger eventually who who will refine them like silver and wash them like a fuller. For most of my life, this is a picture of an angry God who is uh, too pure to look upon evil and who's going to uh, rip the evil out of us and who's going to deal with sinful humanity. And um, I just can't swallow that that's the picture. Refiners aren't worried too much about the impurities. They're worried about having pure silver to make something beautiful. They're worried about uh, making this precious thing precious. Fullers are not angry at dirt. They're imagining, imagining what it looks like to take this a dirty feces-covered sheep's wool to wash it clean and to make beautiful garments. For much of my life, I have, uh, I've preached the gospel of hellfire and brimstone. Uh, it's, it's the gospel I heard. Got to rip that sin out of us and destroy it and all this. And, and, and yet I think when we see this text like today, we see a picture of a God who created us in, in his image and wants to help us be pure. To, to have that image come out more clearly, to have us uh, made beautiful like that pure silver, to be made into something uh, delightful like clean, purified wool. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila said that uh, God's, love, uh, God's love unleashes the holiness that is frozen deep inside of us. The, the scholarship in uh, the academy these days has come to re-understand a, a lot of the gospel less about our faithfulness and more about Christ's faithfulness, that it is not us that has to do anything. We don't have to rip this dirty metal out of us. We don't have to wash ourselves. God is washing us. God is making beautiful things despite these forces of sin and death. And in Christ's incarnation, he comes and says, this is how I'm going to do it. You don't have to go to a cross. I'm going to the cross for you because you are worth it. Because you are beautiful. And there is holiness no matter how hard it is for you to see it deep within you. You are worthy and you are image bearers. You know, uh, I love you all so much. And oftentimes I feel like I see things in you that you don't see in yourselves. Uh, we've done a number of these meals recently. We sit outside in our tent or we talk or things. And I'll be sitting uh, right next to me and say, when I see you, I see God. When, when you are around, I can see this picture of the kingdom of heaven breaking in. I, 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 I don't know that if I tell you this enough, but you 
bear the image of God fully in yourself with nothing you have to do. And whenever I do that, y'all act really uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it's like, this, is, this dinner just got awkward. I can't handle that you're praising me this much. Because there's nothing you had to do, right? If your mama is like my mama, you were raised that we don't like brag about the good parts of ourselves, right? We need to be humble. But the problem is it's nothing we did. God sees the beauty deep in you and will bring it out despite what you have done or are doing, despite the, the way this, this force of sin has worked in you, God, God's face is shining through you. God's making you holy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have, you don't have to bear the weight of the cross. When I look at you, I see the kingdom of heaven in ways that are only possible because you're divine image bearers. God is thawing that holiness deep within you. He is uh, gently dealing with the impurities that seek to, to overwhelm you. He's washing you clean through his work and through his love, through his uh, grace and through his mercy. God's story continues after the prophets and after the time of Christ. And it paints a picture of a church who, uh, who lives in the reality of the here and the not yet. A church that lives in the gap between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Uh, a church that lives in the land of holiness and beauty and yet knows that there's a time when it will be made completely right. When the powers of sin and death will have no force at all and everything will be made beautiful. And our role now is to see the beauty that's deep within ourselves, this, this divine image of God, to, to allow him to thaw the holiness that is there, and then to share that with the world. There's a lot of people who need to hear that, that you are sacred, and you are worthy, that you bear the image of God, and that you are good. No matter what these external forces of sin and death have done, you have to do nothing. And God loves you. This, this sermon has had to preach itself to me uh, all week. Um, and, and it has changed my heart. Um, I, I am convinced uh, that unless, I'm, unless I mess up and y'all call me on it, I am done with hellfire and brimstone. I'm done with turn away from sin, you wretched sinner, because that is not our story. Our tradition doesn't start with us being totally depraved. It starts that we were created in the image of God, and it was very good. If I start anywhere else, you need to call me on that, because our God can do this. Our God can make us beautiful, and he is making us beautiful, and he's making you beautiful, and it is a wonderful thing to watch, and I just need you to believe that. You don't have to go and do anything or be anything or fix anything for God to love you wholly. Janelle was talking about one of our favorite authors this week, and it has struck with me that, that we make God in our image, and we have to get him down to being an angry God who's going to deal with our problems because we often are angry people who have to deal with our own problems. God is bigger than our sin and bigger than death and can make us beautiful without us having to like self-flagellate and worry about who we are and what we've done because God is good and holy.
God created you in his image and loves you unconditionally just the way you are. Amen? Let's pray. God, so often we fail to see your image in us. We believe the story that the world and the church has told us that uh, we aren't good enough, that we uh, are unworthy of your tenderness. We are uh, deserving of your wrath. And that often we are not worthy of even you looking upon us. Lord, forgive us. Open our eyes to see your image in us, to see your spirit moving. Cleanse our hearts to understand your love. Give us give us clean hearts, Lord, that that truly believe we are enough. That you see good. And that in this world that feels so dark and scary, that there's lots of good out there. Help us go and declare to others that they are beautiful children of the God Most High and that you love them. Lord, we pray this with confidence as the children of the God Most High, as people uh, redeemed through the faithfulness of Christ and being made beautiful by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.